Amen. You may be seated. Except for one. We heard Bruce is not downstairs. So we've got the better half. <laughs> Miss Debbie's going to share her testimony with us. So would you like to use this? Yes. Thank you. Um, thanks. I know you were not expecting this goldsmith. Um, and so I apologize if you're disappointed. Um, but um, the, the story behind this particular part of my testimony I wanted to share was um, uh, I'm not preaching. I want to say that. I'm not a preacher. I don't plan to be. I don't want to be. So don't misinterpret that. Um, <coughs> um, and I'm also not going to pray. Not that I mind praying in public, but I was raised independent Baptist and still have that little bit in me that would prefer a man to pray. So we will trust my prayers from my seat and then Hamp's prayer at the end for that. Um, Bruce and I have a mutual friend, pastor friend in Madison. And uh, about a year ago, uh, Bruce mentioned to him that I uh, provide accounting for churches. That's what I do. I love doing accounting for churches, which means I love details, which means you're going to get some details today. Um, at any, any rate, I had a meeting last fall with our pastor friend, and he likes to put people on the spot. And so he thought he was going to put me on the spot, and he said, so, Debbie, tell me about forgiveness. And I said, okay. And so I proceeded to tell him what I'm about to tell you, and he's like, um, can we record that? And I said, no. <laughs> no, you can't. But I'll be happy to come to your church and share. And so in December, I went to this church in Madison, and I shared this testimony. And so yesterday, Bruce and I went to the UVA softball game. We got sunburned. It was tons of fun. And um, then we went to visit Gail Shiflett, Peggy's sister. And Karen, was her friend, was there too. And we talked for a long time. It was a wonderful visit with Gail and Karen. I never knew Gail talked so much. And I'm thinking, is that because Peggy always did the talking? <laughs> oh, so sorry, Peggy. It was wonderful, though. We got home at 9 o'clock, and we were eating dinner at 9 o'clock, which I know is late. And then Bruce got a text that Steve was sick. And uh, he's like, what am I going to do? I have to be downstairs. I promised the Hispanic guys I'll come down with them. I don't want to disappoint them. And I said, well, you know, I do have my testimony. And I would love to share it. I've been wanting to share it more and just wasn't going to push through that door. So um, <clears throat> he decided that he would let me share my testimony. So that's what we're going to do today. Um, I would like to say this because I don't know if any of my family watches. Sometimes they'll watch um, Bruce because they like him a lot. Um, I did not tell anyone that I was sharing today. <laughs> but if they are, I want you and them to know that these are my memories and this is my experience and their memories and their experience might be different and there's in no way am I meaning to invalidate or demean their memories based on what my memories are um, so with that being said I want to talk to you about my dad and I'm not really emotional about my dad so forgive me if I become that way today it might just be because I know you most of you anyway it was easier in Madison because I didn't know anyone there except the pastor um, but so we'll just go with that so, um, and these flowers are doing a work on me too, I'm telling you, it's terrible. And then I dropped my water bottle and almost broke Fran's foot, so sorry about that, Fran. <clears throat> so my dad was a jackass. I apologize if that's offensive to you, I don't mean it to be. Uh, Bruce said, are you gonna say that? I said, yes, I'm gonna say that, <laughs> because it's true. 
Uh, my favorite band is uh, Need to Breathe, and I know Tim Gathright's not here today, but Tim likes to say Need to Breathe sounds like they need to breathe, and I'm like, you can be quiet, Tim. Uh, but they have a song called um, Cages, and I'm going to read the lyrics to the first verse because it 100% describes my dad. Um, it says, I'm a broke-nosed fighter, I'm a loose-lipped liar, searching for the edge of darkness, but all I get is just tired. I went looking for attention in all the wrong places. I was needing a redemption, and all I got was just cages. <clears throat> we were very poor when I was growing up. We uh, lived in a trailer. There were seven of us. I have four siblings, my mom and dad. We lived in a trailer, walked in the door, kitchen, living room. There was a hallway, um, three bedrooms and a bath back there. We had a ringer washer. Anybody remember those lovely things? Yep. We had a ringer washer, and uh, my sister and I, would pull the ringer washer out of the bathroom, or into the middle of the bathroom, open the back door, do the laundry, run it out the back door, hang it on the clothesline. Well, my dad um, had lots of talents, but he wasn't a detailed person, and so he didn't ground our trailer. And so often we would have to jump out the back door. I don't, I don't think there were steps there. I don't really remember that. And we would get shocked if we touched the trailer and the ground at the same time. So that was a real fun time. Um, doing that. Um, there were times when we couldn't afford electricity and we had a sheet hanging over the entrance to the hallway and we had a wood stove uh, with a metal tin, you know, and the window and all that. And uh, one time I uh, was sitting next to that wood stove because it was freezing and my leg fell up open and hit the stove and burned my knee. I still have a scar there from that today. Um, and, you know, obviously, if we couldn't afford electricity, we couldn't afford a lot of other things. One of my memories is my mom and my sister and I went shopping, and, um, sorry, I need my glasses to see this. I don't need my glasses to see you, so. Um, we went shopping, and I love shoes. Don't judge me for that. I have lots of shoes now. Um, in fact, my sister, who doesn't necessarily love shoes, buys them and gives them to me, which is awesome. Um, so I have a lot of shoes from her. But we went shopping, and I just desperately wanted these pair of shoes. I was probably 8, 9, 10, I don't know. And my mom said to me, well, if you can go out in the car and you can find change, you know, down the seats, then I'll buy you these pair of shoes. Well, I couldn't find it. I didn't get the shoes. Um, but that's okay because, again, I've made up for it today. Um, I have shoes like Bruce has tools. He has a lot of tools, <laughs> some of which I think are unnecessary. But... Um, we had beans and potatoes, that's what we ate. And so one day we would have pinto beans, the next day we would have pork and beans, the third day we would have mixed beans, which was leftover pintos and leftover pork and beans, you know, mixed together. We had lots of potatoes, fried potatoes with onions were um, one thing that we had a lot, a big staple. My mom would buy the 50 pound bag of potatoes from wherever, and you know, usually lots of them were rotted, we would just throw those away. Um, I would be um, in charge most of the time of mashing the potatoes. And um, in our trailer, we had some unwanted guests. And as I would be mashing the potatoes, the cockroaches would come out of the mixer into the potatoes. Well, we didn't throw the potatoes away because we couldn't. So I would spoon the cockroaches out, throw them in the trash, and we would just go on and have dinner. My dad had a terrible temper, which I have inherited from him. Um, I, I would like to think mine's way under control. Um, you can tell me if you think differently about that. But 
There would be times where he would turn over the kitchen table. He would get mad if somebody didn't pass the salt. I mean, literally, it could be that simple. And he would just turn the table over. And here we are with having very little food anyway. And uh, now that food was all on the floor. Um, he um, was gracious to us, though, when we would, and I don't mean that, I don't mean that, sarcastically I mean that, um, when we would offend him in some kind of way, we were allowed to go get our own switch. Anybody ever allowed to go get your own switch? Yeah. So um, I remember one time, I was, the, now I don't, mean to, I don't mean to be like this, but I was the good kid. I was the middle kid, and I like to, re- to sit in the corner and read. Well, my brother and my sister, who are older than I, didn't necessarily like to do that. And we were in elementary school. My brother decided that we should stay after school, not, not get on the bus. Well, you know, there were no cell phones or anything like that. And so we didn't go home. My dad was all worried about it. So we got home. Somehow, I don't remember the details of that. And um, <clears throat> we, all, we all got a whip-in. Now, I thought, why should I get a whip-in? I wanted to go home, you know? I was just trying to um, do what my brother told me to do. And so anyway, I got to go get my own switch, and I'll not forget that and, <clears throat> and take that punishment for uh, mis- misbehaving or disobeying. So um, we lived in a trailer park. I mentioned that already. And there's a church, and this was in Lynchburg, and there's a church that had a bus ministry, and they sent the bus around. They knocked on our door, and we started going. Yeah, this part makes me emotional. <laughs> we started... Um, riding the bus to church and my dad ended up actually becoming the captain of the bus ministry and driving a bus and a lot of Sundays he would make my oldest brother drive the bus and I'm sorry if he's listening my oldest brother he's probably not Um, but I'll never forget one Sunday my brother was driving the bus and every time we stopped to pick up kids he'd have to throw up because he had a hangover and I just thought oh well this is interesting (laughs) Um, we had a big church picnic one time, and I remember my dad got in a fist fight, and I thought, how can you get in a fist fight at a church picnic? It was just kind of beyond my level of thinking. Um, there were um, two youth pastors at this church, and I think I hope you're thankful for youth pastors. They're just amazing in kids' lives. But we had two youth pastors named Big Steve and Little Steve. That's all I remember about them, except that um, they shared the gospel. And... And when I was 12, um, that's when I went forward and became a, became a Christian at 12. I remember that like it was yesterday, and I'm a little bit older than 12 today. Um, when I was in middle school, um, my dad was able to buy some property just down the road from our trailer park. We could walk from the trailer park to the property. Um, I don't know how he afforded that. Um, and I will never forget, he dug the foundation on a Sunday. And my mom told him that the house was always going to have problems because he dug the foundation on a Sunday. And you can think of that whatever you want. My siblings and I became master builders, though. I can do shingles. I can do sheetrock. I can do tar paper. You name it at a house, I can do it. So if you need any services, (laughs) give me a call. Um, It was not fun for us. Um, Sorry, it wasn't fun for us. You know, we didn't get to participate in... Uh, other activities except thankful I'm so thankful for baseball and I still love baseball but my brothers played baseball my dad coached and umpired and so we got to go to the ball field so that meant we didn't have to work on the house that day so I'm so thankful for that Um, my best friend um, I was in 10th grade my best friend moved to South Carolina and of course we made 
ridiculous promises to each other that, you know, when we graduated high school, we'd move in the same area. We never have done that. She, but still, I have just wonderful memories of her. But she would write me letters. We would write letters back and forth when she moved. And um, my dad would read my letters. And I didn't know that until one day my friend, her name was Sarah, said, hey, can you pet Misty for me? Well, Misty was their dog. And uh, my dad um, read the letter, and he came to me. He says, so what is this about petting Misty? And I said, she's a dog. I mean, you know, he's just very invasive like that. He was invasive uh, when I went to prom and uh, just in different areas, which I'll talk about later if there were, and I'd say more if there weren't kids in the room, but um, he was just very invasive, just didn't trust us at all. Um, excuse me. <clears throat> he was famous for wanting to do things in a way that where they weren't supposed to be done. Like, if I ever had an issue with a car, he would immediately lift the hood, take the air filter, and throw it like a frisbee across the yard and be like, you don't need that thing. And I'm like, you know, somebody invented this. Somebody figured out that a car works better with an air filter, but he just decided that that was not something that uh, we needed to put up with. Um, there were many, many, I mean hundreds of times when I've sat in the car to help him whether I was pumping the brakes, bleeding the bra, he's bleeding the brakes, or the radiator was leaking, and guess what we dumped in the radiator? Red pepper flakes. You ever done that? Dump some red pepper flakes in your radiator. Supposedly it clogs the hole. I don't know. Probably clogs a little more than <laughs> the unwanted hole. Um, I eventually got married, obviously, and, um, and we had kids, and we would still go see my parents all the time. You know, we didn't live far from them at one portion of our early uh, married life, and we would still go down there. But I will tell you this, I would not leave my daughter alone with him. And I never really had to, because we didn't spend the night and that kind of thing. We just would go and have lunch and, and whatever. But it was just always the same thing all the time with him. Um, so about 15 years into our marriage, we've been married 35 years, I think we just told you that. I, you know, for 15 years, I complained to my husband about my dad. And for 15 years, he would say to me, you cannot change anyone else. You can only change yourself. And so finally, after 15 years, got, got that hard head, I guess, I was like, we were standing in our house in Rutgersville. We don't live there now, but we lived in a house in Rutgersville, and we were standing there, and I just remember we were in the basement by the wood stove, and I remember going, you know what? I just need to forgive my dad. I mean, that's just the bottom line. He did what he did, now I have to do what I have to do, what I'm commanded to do, what I'm commanded to do is forgive. So don't tell Bruce I said this, but um, he's so wonderful as a counselor and as a pastor, you guys know that. We did a, we didn't do, he did a funeral on Friday and for my sister-in-law's dad and uh, just, he, I mean, just to sit and watch him. And I know I have a a different affinity for him than you do, but it's just amazing the compassion that he has for people. So, um, 15 years, and I finally was able to forgive my dad. After that, um, I never saw my dad as the same person anymore. He wasn't the person who um, threw me against the couch and um, hurt my back. I've had back problems forever. I finally found a lady here in Charlottesville a couple of years ago who was able to help me and fix, fix my back. And she's just, I would have paid her a million dollars if I had it. So I don't have back problems anymore. But you know when you have a sleeper sofa, or the old ones, I guess, they had a really hard edge on them where the cushions were. 
And I remember my dad throwing me against that and hitting my back. And I remember him dragging my mom up the hallway by her hair, you know, just different things like that. But after I was able to forgive him, I didn't see that anymore. I didn't, I, I mean, I still remember them, obviously. I'm telling you about them, but I didn't see him as that person. I saw him as really sad and lonely and lost. I will say this, however. My dad said at one point um, that he had been called to preach. Now, I don't know if that's true. He never did it, never followed through with that. But I often wondered if he was just running from God all those years, and that's why he behaved the way, we, the way that he did. So, <clears throat> of course, with Bruce by my side, we began to try to minister to my dad and just be friends with him. I, um, not all of my siblings had the same thoughts toward him, as you can imagine. About five years ago, about five years ago, um, I received a message on Facebook from a girl, and she said, hey, I think your dad is my dad. And I said, all right, I can see where that's possible. And so we went through a series of uh, back and forth conversations, and uh, my brothers got involved, my sister got involved, and um, we decided to do a DNA test because we just needed to know for sure. And then, you know, we would welcome her. She didn't live in the area, but we would welcome her in as much as possible, you know, but we just wanted to know. And so Bruce went, Bruce and I went to my mom and dad's, and Bruce administered the DNA test on my dad. Well, you know how tall Bruce is. My dad was not that tall. He wasn't much taller than I am. And so Bruce was up here, you know, like swabbing the cheek. And so we sent it off. Uh, she sent hers off, came back to me because I was kind of organizing that thing. Zero percent chance that this uh, girl was my father's child. Some of my family did not believe that we had administered the DNA test properly, uh, which is kind of laughable now. But um, and said, there, you know, it has to be true because he has to have this sin on his record deck on it, you know. Um, and I don't hold that against my family who thought that because I understand the angst before forgiveness. I understand that was terrible, just living in it all the time. Um, there's been a lot that's gone on with my family related to my dad beyond the point of this girl coming into the picture, who's now not in the picture. She's not related to us. We don't have a relationship with her now. Um, it, it was very strained. We stopped, the family stopped getting together for holidays and lunches at my mom's, and it was just real hard on my mom. Um, in November of 2019, my dad went in the hospital. I started my new job in November of 2019, and that's only relevant based on what I'm about to tell you. So I left, I went, took my computer, went to Lynchburg because I work from home and um, I'm sitting in the hospital room and there in Lynchburg working trying to figure out this new job that I have and my dad is there we're trying to figure out you know like what's wrong with him my sister's there my mom is there of course and um, at one point everybody left the room I don't know why maybe they went to get food I don't really know why everyone left the room and I they came back and I held them off and said stay out there I want to talk to him for a minute and so I talked to my dad about his salvation, and I said, you know, I just want to be sure that you know where you're going when you die, you know, because I want to see you in heaven one day. I said that to him. And we talked for 10 minutes-ish, and, you know, he kind of hemmed and hauled, and maybe, yeah, sure, whatever. And then um, everybody else came back in the room. I'm not kidding you. Two minutes later, he was yelling at everyone in the room. He wasn't yelling at me. Because, <laughs> you know, I have his temper, so... 
He was not yelling at me. He was yelling at my mom, and he was yelling at the nurses, and my sister-in-law was there. And finally, I couldn't take it anymore. I'm sitting here. I'm trying to work, you know. And I got up, and I got in his face, and I said, listen, everybody here is trying to help you. The nurses are trying to help you. Mom is trying to help you. We're all trying to help you. Now, you stop it, and you just, you just behave yourself. You know what he said to me? I'll see you in heaven, just like that. My sister-in-law told my brother later, she said, you don't have to worry about it. Debbie has it under control, <laughs> which I thought was funny. After he left the hospital, I don't even know what was wrong with him. Isn't that terrible? I know he had, like, I know he had like heart problems, and I think he had kidney problems, but honestly, I just don't even know him. I'm not the medical one. If you have a medical issue, don't come to me. I don't know what, I don't know what it was. Um, they moved him to a rehab facility there in Lynchburg, and I would go... Uh, Sunday here, Sunday there, not every Sunday. I would go, always stopped at KFC. I love KFC. Um, that's not relevant to the story at all. Um, <laughs> we'd go see my dad, and I would always try to share the gospel with him, and he would just get angry. He would just be so mad at me, and, and I'd say, you know, I'm just here to chat with you for a minute, and so um, once he was able to leave the rehab facility, they put him in a, because he had, I guess he had some form of dementia. I don't, honestly, I'm sorry, I don't know. But they put him in a lockdown unit. And um, lo and behold, they took his favorite chair from his house to the lockdown unit. And lo and behold, don't you know, that thing was full of bed bugs. So guess what? My mom couldn't go back home. She couldn't go stay there. So thankfully, my brother was able to house her for a bit. Little funny side note. My mom was here last Sunday and came to our house for lunch. We have stairs up, stairs down. We have a split foyer. And, you know, she can't do stairs very well now because of her hip. And so Bruce is on her backside pushing, and I'm on her front side pulling. And <laughs> she says to Bruce, you have to push harder. <laughs> He's like, you should have been talking to me. You should have been pushing. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> anyway. Um, but now she lives, my sister has a house that, that she owns next door to her house, and my mom lives there. And uh, so my sister, I mean, I, just, I can't say enough great things about my sister. Um, <clears throat> guess what my dad did? He escaped. It was a lockdown facility. He escaped. He had run a, a private investigation um, security guard company for years and, um, and even did security at Pantops. And when he first said Pantops to me, I still lived in Lynchburg, I was like, what is Pantops? Anyway. Um, so he obviously figured out how to escape. He was gone for six hours. But in the meantime, I went to Lynchburg. My sister was there. They had every police car in the world, it seemed like, out there looking for him. The helicopter was out, you know? <laughs> and we're just like, we don't know where he is. And about six hours later, he shows up on the campus of Liberty University, and the police uh, there knew that he was missing, and so they took him in. So my sister and I are you know, running down the hill, or we drove, but to go see my dad, and we walk in, he goes, hey, and he's just drinking a Pepsi. Hey. We said, hey. <laughs> he was really dirty, like, like had dirt all over him, and so I don't know if he was like, hiding in the ditch, which would not have surprised me, or if he fell, I don't really know. He didn't seem injured. And so they decided at that point, whoever they are, to put him in a much more secure facility. And so in January of 2020, he was moved to, in, to this much more secure facility in Lynchburg. And I would go see him. You know, a lot of my family wouldn't go, and I'm not, I'm not saying that as a, 
uh, any kind of commentary on them, I understand. I do. I, but I just felt so compelled to go see him. And so I would go see him, and every single time he would say, if you don't get me out of here, I'm going to kill myself. And I was like, I said, honey, I did not call him honey. Um, <laughs> I was like, I can't. I, there is nothing I can do, you know. I, I will, there's nothing. And I would try to explain to him there was nothing I could do, and he would just get so upset. Well, as you know, we did go to, Bruce and I did go to Romania every year until COVID. And so this was right before uh, Romania. Nathan, our oldest son, happened to be in town. And Nathan and my dad had a great relationship. I don't know if it's because Nathan was the oldest grandchild or, um, you know, military connection. I'm not sure. But anyway, Nathan was in town. And so we decided, Bruce and I, to take Nathan by to see my dad. Oh, I wish I had never done that. It was... My dad was just so, like sobbing, just sobbing. You got to get me out of here. You got to get me out of here. And I felt embarrassed for my dad, for his grandson, to see him that way. And so we left there, and um, I went back then, right before we left for Romania. I went back on that Sunday, which was March the 8th, I believe. Uh, I went back on that Sunday in 2020, and I said, Hey, you know, we're going to Romania because we go every year, and uh, so I won't be able to see you for two weeks, but. When we get back, I'll come see you. <coughs> Sorry. And I'll never forget this part. He had, my dad had the most beautiful blue eyes. And that Sunday, he was wearing the most beautiful blue, baby blue sweater that matched his eyes. And he was standing in the doorway of his room like this, leaning against the, the doorway. And he said, I love you, which he said that, what, one time in 50-something years to me. Which, you know, I'm not a words person, so... That was okay with me. wouldn't be okay with everyone. And uh, I said, I'll see you when I get back. Well, you all know that then COVID came full-blown, and we got back, but we couldn't see him. And so I would call him, and uh, he'd say, get me out of here. you got to get me out of here. And I said, I, I cannot get you out of there. And he'd hang up on me. So um, Bruce and I had quarantined. Many of you know this part, too had quarantined at his uncle's lake house when we got back from Romania because we'd been out of the country, so on and on. And so we decided that Memorial Day week to go to the lake house, just hang out, have some fun, you know, whatever. We get there on Sunday night. On Monday morning, my phone rings. On May the 25th of 2020, my dad had passed away. And I was so thankful that we were in the area. And so every day we went and did something with my mom. My, my sister was there. My brothers were there. We weren't the only ones. We would go to the funeral home. We went to, pick, you know, pick out stuff. We went to just help her. You know, it was so wonderful that we were there. You know, and again, they love Bruce. I mean, she loves Bruce. So I could have been not there, and she would have been happy because Bruce was there, which is fine with me. I mean, I love him too. So um, I got chosen as the representative to talk to the pastor. Now, I know the pastor. I've known him forever, it seems like. Um, and so they said, you got to talk to the pastor. And you got to tell him, we don't want any of this. He was a great dad. He was a great father kind of mess, because that is not true. And so I went to the pastor, and I said, listen, don't say any of that stuff. It wasn't true. And he knew my dad. My mom had been in church there for a long time. And so my, the pastor did just the most wonderful service. And guess what he did? He honored my mom, because he'd known her for probably 30 years. And he talked about it, and she sat right there, and how wonderful. She sang in the choir, and she did this, and she did that. It was wonderful. Two of my brothers, no offense to them, I wrote them a note and said, I understand. Two of my brothers didn't attend the funeral. 
And I was disappointed in that only because they missed this wonderful tribute that this pastor made to our mom. My aunts and uncles didn't attend. My mom's an only child, so I didn't have any aunts and uncles on her side, but my dad's brothers and sister didn't attend the funeral. And to this day, his sister won't speak to me, which is very hard for me. She's my favorite aunt. We have a lot in common. We dress the same. And my mom, even when she would get frustrated with me, would call me by my aunt's name, you know, <laughs> just because our hard-headed whatever that we had. When we went on the um, night to see the body, you know how you go to the funeral home, you see the body, um, he was still wearing his wedding ring. And I thought, Ooh, what are we going to do about that? I mean, do we bury him in his wedding ring? I mean, does anybody care? And You know, because my mom lived for 60 years with just, just terrible treatment shall we say. And so um, I went to my mom. I said, Mom, do you want his wedding ring? She said, no. And I went to my sister, and I said, what do we do about his wedding ring? And she goes, I don't, do you want it? And I said, I don't know. Like, what am I going to do with it? And I was like, yes, so give me the wedding ring. And so I have it at home. I have no idea what I'm going to do with it. It doesn't have any real meaning to me necessarily. But I thought, I, I mean, you know, we can't bury it. If you walk by the conference room, there's a, a cabinet in there, glass and wood cabinet. Because before I say that, let me say this. My brothers and sister and I were tasked then with going to clean out the house. So first, we uh, they had a reverse mortgage on their house. So once my mom moved out, you know, the bank just took it back, which is great. Uh, but once we called an exterminator and took care of the bed bugs, then we were uh, tasked with cleaning out the house. And we were throwing away all this stuff. And my dad, you know, he has had this much of a talent in a lot of different areas and he made a lot of furniture out of hutch in my house that he made and he made that cabinet that's in the conference room and uh, you know the the general consensus about, among the family was let's burn everything um, in some senses because the bed bugs had been there but in other senses because they didn't necessarily need anything to remind them of him and I thought I, I just I just don't feel like I can do that and so uh, Bruce and I brought back uh, like a trailer full of stuff. We gave a lot of it away, and I just kept that cabinet. And I don't have room for it at my house, or I would take it there. And um, I thought, well, finally, uh, you know, as the conference room was being renovated, I was, the, I was saying to the ladies, you know, just get rid of it. You know, it, I don't have room for it at my house. And, but, but thankfully, they're not going to do that. They're going to paint it. They've already started painting it. And I just thought, you know, didn't, didn't some of his stuff means something? I mean, I don't know. That's just, that's just where I'm coming from. I'll end with this, and I'm sorry you're getting out early today. You can go get brunch or something. Um, <laughs> for me, for me, forgiveness is freedom. Forgiveness is freedom. If you have someone in your life who you've not forgiven, I just want to encourage you and just implore you even, beg you. You need to forgive. If you need counseling, free counseling, uh, Bruce is more than available for that. If you're a woman, I'll be in there. I just need you to know that, too. He doesn't counsel women alone. There's another song. I love music. And there's another song that just has resonated with me over the years. And um, I want to read you that lyric and then read you a couple of verses. Because nothing I say is more powerful than what the scriptures say. Uh, this song is called He Has Forgiven Me. It was sung by Damaris Carbaugh, who was part of the Brooklyn Tabernacle Choir. I don't know if she still is, but it says this. He has forgiven me. My sin has been washed from his memory. 
by the blood of the Lamb of Calvary, he has forgiven me. And I thought, you know, why can I not forgive my dad? I know it took me 15 years, so give me a break on that. Uh, you know, but how can I not forgive him? Let me look what I've been forgiven. And the Bible says that he who has been forgiven much loves much. Now, I know I don't show love the way my husband does with his words and some of the rest of you. But, um, but I, I can tell you this, and I know this is not about you and me. But I can tell you this, nobody in here loves you more than I do. I'll just say that, and we can move on. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ has forgiven you. And then I think about the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And I just can't tell you how much freedom there is in forgiveness. And I would encourage you, if you have someone you need to forgive, that you make that happen um, sooner rather than later. So thanks for listening to me, guys. I appreciate it. You know, you never know. Isn't that something, you know, what, what do you know and what don't you know? Thank you, Debbie. Um, love is the most powerful tool that you have. Forgiveness being part of that. But learning how to love, isn't that what Jesus told us? You know, we just sang it. They'll know you were Christians by your love. And only through love can you give forgiveness. But thank you for sharing that because, you know, we all have stuff. All different kinds. And it can all be taken care of through God, through Christ. So let's stand and sing once more. How great is our God. Sing with me how great. Our God, and all will see how great, how great is our God. The splendor of the King, clothed in majesty, let all the earth rejoice. himself in light and darkness tries to hide and trembles at his voice trembles at his voice how great is our God sing with me how great is our God and all will see how great, how great is our God. Age to age he stands, and time is in his hand, beginning and the end, beginning and the end. 
Father, you are the only one. You are the only one worthy of our praise. Lord, we just thank you so much for your forgiveness, for your love, for your grace and your mercy to us. Lord, we thank you for the testimony that Debbie shared with us and how you taught her to forgive. So, Lord, we just thank you for all that you do for us each and every day. We just thank you for the fact that Jesus loved us so much that he came so that we could have forgiveness. So, Lord, we thank you for all of that. And we praise your holy name. In Jesus' name, amen. Mm -hmm. 